So that moment where you're like, okay, the facade has unraveled for me. I could no longer pretend that I belong in spaces that are reserved for women and because I'm not one. It, is it a trauma? Is it a pain? Is it a relief? Is it all of the above? Is, does it get you back to, does it, is it helpful in a way to really, give up that pretense? It is a, what is the word? There's sadness that you feel because it's, it's like when somebody who you love dies, right? There's that feeling that something has changed so fundamental that it's never going to come back again. So there is a feeling of loss, but there's also this feeling like opportunity mm -hmm. of renewal of growth. So it really is this epic cyclical event that the thing that you were always trying to become, but that you couldn't, you are now allowed to give up trying. And it does feel like a loss because what you're giving up is a dream or a pipe dream. <laughs> But what you're getting instead is an opportunity to be in the real world. You've just heard the voice of Karina Cohen. Cohen had sex reassignment surgery at the age of 19. I spoke with him in July. Soon after, he provided testimony in front of the Texas Assembly, urging that body to support a bill restricting the use of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries to reconfigure the bodies of people in pursuit of cross-sex identification for those over the age of 18. I'm sorry to say, but our opponents are misguided. Authenticity is something you discover by living and growing, not by taking hormones or having surgery. Every person in this building has come to this day by trying and failing and learning from their experiences. We cannot protect children from growing up, and the misguided attempts through medicalization will only lead to future pain. It is time for Texas to follow the evidence and for this body to take up its proper mantle as regulator of last resort. Even though you will hear sincere and passionate emotional appeals to oppose this bill, you are our last chance for protecting children. Thank you. During the first hour of this conversation, which has been excised in the name of relative brevity, we discussed the reasons for Cohn's transition. In the two hours and 50 minutes that remains, we discuss why and how fully transitioned and passing transsexual came to devote himself to putting a stop to what he regards as the scandal of pediatric gender medicine. 
You are about to embark upon the great crusade. The old myth. The eyes of the world are upon you. Hi, this is Wesley Yang. You're listening to the Year Zero podcast, which is hosted at Substack, where listeners can support this work that I'm doing. WesleyYang.substack.com. Your task will not be an easy one. ahead will be long. We're going to make sure that society wins. From the point of being a successfully transitioned woman to testifying against a ban on pediatric gender care. How did I become disenchanted? Yes. So, although if you had asked me on any given day for basically any day under the age that I was 30, I would have said, everything is great. This is the best thing. I'm so happy. Please overlook that I sometimes spend whole weekends by myself crying and weeping and feeling like an alien and subhuman. If you ignore all of that and all of my insecurity, and if you ignore my self-loathing and my depression, then I'm fantastic, which is something that actually is something that I pick up from a good number of the younger trans people is this sort of thing. I'm so glad I did this. How dare you criticize it? This is, I'm being my true self. And also I'm horribly depressed. Mm. Yeah. There is a theory that is called, oh, I keep messing up the name of this. It is this idea that the reason that people who are trans are depressed is because of how other people treat them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Minority stress. Minority stress. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you remembering that. Uh There's this minority stress model that, oh, obviously, if you were feeling that way, yes, it's because of transphobia. And it wasn't. It was all internal. But it's horrible that, and this is in the World Professional Association for Transgender Healthcare standard of care, Mm -hmm. is that this is the primary theory about why there are mental health care comorbidities in the transgender population is because of minority threat. And it's it's garbage. And you're saying that on the basis of your own personal testimony and your knowledge of other transsexuals. I imagine there was a period where you felt like we're all victims of transphobia. Our pain is that, or did you not ever feel that way? No, never, never. Because, and the biggest reason for that is, I transitioned at a point where assimilation and passing was the number one goal. And it is not like that anymore. The transgender population. Oh, how to put this? I'm sorry. This is going to be confusing. We used to all be transsexuals. Yeah. And then there was a minority of people that started calling themselves transgender and they won the war. They out, they outcompeted us. Mm-hmm. So the transgender population said, No, passing is cis-heteronormative. We don't want to pass. We want to be liberated, and we can never liberate if we're assimilating. So passing is bad. If you do pass, we're going to criticize you for having passing privilege. And if you talk about how to pass better, this is like the people who are at unhealthy levels of obesity who say, uh, actually, you can be healthy at any weight when... We know that's actually not quite right. 
your risk factors go up dramatically. It's the same sort of mentality with the transgender group who is saying, oh, passing is something cis people make us do. Uh Uh-huh. So having the beard and saying, accept me as a woman is, Mm -hmm. that's this example of the transgenderism. Yes. Having the beard allow me into the woman's locker room. Now, when you were passing, you were going into the woman's locker room as a passing. Occasionally I would, but I didn't feel Mm. very comfortable doing that. So Mm. I did that only on limited occasions. Okay. Public bathrooms, yes, but locker rooms a lot less frequently. Okay. But then I didn't have an external... So you did it during the period of assimilation, and you did assimilate, and so you knew that it wasn't people hating you because they didn't perceive you as others. Is is that right? That's right. But your feelings of self-loathing on those weekends were... What did I do to myself? And What's funny is it wasn't like, what did I do to myself? I don't think I ever had that sort of self-recrimination, which is funny. Yeah. But it was more just a lack of feeling like I had a place in the world. So you did have that experience of having more of a place in the world, right? Because you had, but then feeling like there, it was false. <laughs> yeah, it was totally false. Like, mm-hmm. even though I was developing good friendships with people, yeah. I would not tell them about this part of my life. And I was afraid that they wouldn't maintain their friendships with me if I was honest about that. And so I think one of the ways that the world's better now for people who are trans-identified is that they can yeah. be more honest. But mm-hmm. a, a downside with it is that there's there there's zero emphasis on trying to have that humility of integration or assimilation. It's extremely narcissistic now. So your integration took the form of people wouldn't know, or even most people wouldn't know. Most people wouldn't know. And you worried that if they did know, and did that bear out over time? Because at a certain point, I think many of these people that you had entered into a relationship under the pretense that they were befriending a woman both women and men, or maybe more women yes. than men, they would all eventually learn, Is that and would they not accept you once they learned, or would they? Nope. I have never had a person discontinue a friendship or relationship with me on the basis of my right. medical past. So that fear was not borne out, and you did not live in not a transphobic in world. <laughs> but it continued to be a source of anxiety or a sense of falsehood. Now you, yes. don't, have, now you don't have to do that falsehood, right? No, nope. now do I don't. You immediately tell people I transitioned. I am a male who has transitioned. Yeah. yeah. They've uh, asked me to stop doing that at the grocery store. They said, we know you don't have to keep, you're just, can you buy your toilet paper and leave, sir? But it's fine. Okay. So, up until 30, you would have said, I'm happy, despite these crying jags that I would go on every now and then. Yes. And then something the, the breaks. suicidal ideation. But apart from that, it was wonderful, yeah. And if somebody had done a study of, right, of transgender outcomes on a day that you weren't in a crying jag, they would have gotten a result saying, 
this is a person who a successful transition. Five stars. Yeah. So what gets you to the point where stop maintaining the pretense or is it just a matter of at a certain point you yeah. can no longer do it? There, there used to be a festival called the Women, Michigan Women's Music Festival. Yeah. And I'd been invited to go to that and I did some research and saw that it was women only. Yeah. And I was like, I was okay with that. I was like, all right, I don't want to create a stir. This is their rules. So that's what I want to do is abide by their rules. Now I need a pretext not to go, <laughs> need an excuse not to go. Yeah. But when I was researching that, I learned that there were some feminists who really hated trans people. Yeah. I mm. thought. Actually, I don't think I was totally mistaken. I think there are some who do, but that's well, not... I, I talked to Joey Bright about this. and uh, Oh, Joey Bright, ha- yeah. Joey Bright hates me. Okay. But you talked not, about not... the Michigan Women's Festival and the invasion yeah. of men in dresses into women's spaces and so on. So, Yeah. She, she uh, issued a physical threat against me. Okay. She hates like right. me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are the Joey Brights of the world, but that's atypical. But I wanted to learn a little bit more about that point of view, because I was like, there are so many things that we have in common as people who are marginalized by men. Yeah. Like, why are we enemies? So I started researching that and I'd have more conversations with feminists. And one of them challenged me and said, basically, she said, why do you believe that you are an exceptional member of class woman instead of an exceptional member of class man. Hmm. And I was like, I don't have an answer. Like, how would, how dare you? Let me think about that though. And I did. I thought about that a lot. And I was like, so a, I am a male. A turf made a rational argument and persuaded you. That's your language. She'll, she will, I will never call her a turf. I have a ton of admiration for her. Okay. But a, a feminist who does not recognize a gender critical, a person who does not recognize the claims of transgenderism That's right. uh, made a rational argument, stumped you and persuaded you that no, in fact, yeah, I'm a man. Because rational argument is not usually the way these things, that's not usually how it works out. But She invited me to make my rational argument. Yeah. And I was like, I can't, I, this is fundamentally irrational. And I found myself in this cul-de-sac and I was like, okay, I have to turn around and leave here. Okay. So people who are in that cul-de-sac today, they deal with the cognitive dissonance that you described, the one that you ended up submitting to and being like, yes, all right, I'm not, re- no, I'm not a woman. They will say, you, you know, you're a Nazi, this is genocidal. Mm. Yes. And so they have a way of holding back that cognitive dissonance. And it's not just a tactic of, an, of a desperate individual, although it is that too, but it's also, it's backed up, right? By Oh yeah, it's institutional now. It didn't it's, used to be institutional. I was able to become disenchanted before transgenderism was institutionalized. Do you think now that you, it is? Do you think if you had recourse at that moment to how dare you, you, you radical you, feminist, you monster, and knowing that Corinne Jean Pierre and Joe Biden have your back, would you have been able to hold off that uh, that disenchantment with the aid of the culture behind you? The, the fact of the matter is, yeah, as we age, yeah, uh-huh. we every day that we 
make it on this earth, we have a little chance to pick up a tiny little bit more wisdom and perspective. Yeah. So I think that it's less those external factors yeah, and more that I had done enough living up to that point and had experienced enough pain and insecurity and sought for something that was better and different yeah. that I, I had that accumulated and that without that, the, the external factors wouldn't have made a difference. And so you feel that this is a tipping point that everyone has to reach. That there, there's no way to avoid reaching it. Although how old is Rachel well, Levine? There's death. The Admiral Levine. So yes, thank you. <laughs> Proper respect for our military <laughs> ser service members, please. There's a difference. There's really a fundamental difference between people who transition as adults and people who transition as uh, adolescents. And I think when we're talking about people who start their transition as adults, yeah. that they know what they're getting into most of the time. Yeah. And if they don't know what they're getting into, then I don't know that they can change their minds. Yeah. Maybe they can. So that moment where you're like, okay, the facade has unraveled for me. I can no longer pretend that I belong in spaces that are reserved for women and because I'm not one. It, is it a trauma? Is it a pain? Is it a relief? Is it all of the above? Is, does it get you back to, does it, is it helpful in a way to really, give up that pretense? It is a, what is the word? There's sadness that you feel yeah. because it's, it's like when somebody who you love dies, right? Yeah. There's that feeling that something has changed so fundamental that it's never going to come back again. So there is a feeling of loss, but there's also this feeling like opportunity mm -hmm. of renewal of growth. So it really is this epic cyclical event that the thing that you were always trying to become, but that you couldn't, you are now allowed to give up trying. And it does feel like a loss because what you're giving up is a dream or a pipe dream. <laughs> But what you're getting instead is an opportunity to be in the real world, like to actually face your problems realistically and to build relationships that are built on a solid foundation of mutual trust because you're not trying to hide something. Electricity just came back on. So the... The impossible yearning that structured and drove your existence well into your adulthood. That was both, it was a kind of impetus to aspiration and, but also impossible <laughs> to give up this dream. It's hard to give up one's dreams, but also to not be stuck desiring something that can never come true. Where does that turn into, <laughs> where does that turn into this, what you subsequently became? <laughs> An activist. Who, I'm a trans activist. 
a, tra- a certain kind of trans activist. Many of today's trans activists would call you an anti-trans activist. That's right. So how does that happen? And, uh, and, and yeah. of course, the atmosphere that we have today, this exacerbated, politicized atmosphere, did not exist that long ago. But just seeing it metastasize and metastasize where you have Dylan Mulvaney at the White House and you have boycotts bringing down corporations around this set of issues that you have lived with for 25 years. How does that all feel? And how do we get to this point where you are telling a room full of Texas Republican legislatures to cut off this option to trans? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't it strange? Yes. A few years ago, I started telling some of the more activist trans people, I said, this is going to blow up on us. Yeah. And it has. And I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to get worse from here. What happened in Scotland with the rapists in the women's prison, that's actually happening here. It's just being suppressed by the media or for the media that you would want to have cover it, the or not want to have cover it, but like the conservatives who want to exacerbate the culture stuff, they haven't dug very deeply into it yet. When that starts blowing up and when we have our, when we have a victim in a women's prison who's emblematic of that whole problem, this is going to get twice as bad. Once people start reading Redux and poaching their stories more in larger circulation publications. That's uh, right. Then this is going to completely hit us so hard. What, ha- what has happened in Florida is mm-hmm. going to happen in most states, I think, at some point, which is that there's a, an open recognition that for, let's say, for everybody who transitions, this is not a healthcare issue, mm. that this is a, some form of self-perfection. It's, the changes are cosmetic. They're not, it's not to cure an illness. It's not to cure even a mental disease. This is about helping somebody who has a fantasy try to achieve their fantasy. And if it would not be ridiculous at all for us to string up guide wires from building to building and let people strap themselves into it so that they could pretend to be superheroes flying from place to place. That is this much social accommodation to help people fulfill mm-hmm. a fantasy. It's not going to go on forever. And the biggest yeah. the biggest thing that they hit was doing this to the kids. Yeah. And it is so unjust. The amount of pain mm. and the elimination of so many healthy futures that are being destroyed by doing this mm. to children is unreal. Yeah. And I felt called to do something, to say something about it. And mm-hmm. originally that took the form of starting a nonprofit that was dedicated to the purpose of speaking with other patients and with doctors saying, there's actually some really noticeable gaps between the standards of care and how you're actually practicing. Can we yeah. address that? Can we do something about that? Can you go get WPATH training? Can you apply it? And yeah. what we learned is that the doctors don't care about WPATH. Yeah, And this is always very frustrating to me because in testimony, doctor after doctor will get up and say, oh, there's a standard of care. The AMA endorses the standard. The AP endorses the standard of care. The American Endocrine Society endorses the standard of care. But none of the clinicians 
practice yeah. according to the standard of care. So it's a sham. So what we see revealed in the Matt Walsh video where you can call and have a 20 yes. minute conversation and they'll cue you up to remove your testicles without any gatekeeping. That's what you discovered when you were trying to intervene here. And yes. you had, you were keeping up with the culture of medicine and transgenderism. You knew that this stuff was happening, but as you had conversations with both clinicians, it became increasingly clear that a whole new culture had come in, an affirmative culture, a body embodiment goals culture of consumer medicine, where there would be no attempt to think of the patient as somebody that, that needs to be, the patient is just a consumer and will ask for something right. and the job is to execute. That's something you discovered right around when, like 2016, 2017, that fully the change had happened? I know this is going to sound crazy, but I would say it's probably 2019 before I realized that it was that bad. And then two years later, maybe. two years later, Erica Anderson and Laura Edwards Leeper wrote a piece in the Washington Post right around the time that your piece came out, I think, right? Where mm -hmm. they were like, yeah, like I'm the head of US Path, but I really have no authority. I have to act as a whistleblower on my field where they have pretty much given up any kind of comprehensive psychological evaluation. They just put it out there. And then you were like, listen, <laughs> it, transitioning young people are not competent to understand like what this actually entails. Yeah. So that message and if you'd asked me four years ago, if you'd asked me four years ago, should children be allowed to transition? I would say, I think that there are some children who would young people, not children, yeah. obviously, but young people, maybe right. 16, maybe even yeah. 14, who right. are so clear that they are unhappy in, the, in their sex body and have so much dysphoria, have so yeah. much dissonance with their bodies, that this might be the best thing for them. I would have said that a few years ago. I still believe that we might find that there are some diagnostic criteria that give us some confidence that somebody who's 16 year old, who's a 16 year old might have a better life experience starting this. But I don't believe that there's a single practicing gender clinician or gender therapist or gender affirming social worker. I don't believe that there's a single person who's practicing right now. Let me put it that way. There might be people here and there. There is nobody who's part of a functioning system anywhere yeah. in the United States uh -huh. where a young person can be exposed to this in a way that is centers the needs of that young person. There's not a functioning system anywhere. So coincidentally, the system that is giving everybody everything they ask for may help that person that you described, that very small subpopulation of those yeah. who are already so set and clear it, that things will be better for them. But nobody's practicing that way. And B, the contagion has metastasized to such a point that it's bringing in all kinds of people who are not even really dysphoric in any meaningful way. Sometimes it's like we're moving beyond these troubled populations. And of course, it's mostly these troubled populations of unpopular neurodivergent, right? Like mentally ill, yep. troubled kids. Nerds. Loser it's nerds. mostly, yeah, just nerds or girls who are a little bit different, right? But we're also just taking in people that want to fit in because the, the whole structure of conformity has changed to the point where people are willing to contemplate things that just 
are so extreme as interventions, but have been normalized. And of course, you know what it means to have that kind of thing normalized because you had it normalized on IRC in 1991. Yeah. And you, they're not told that these are dangerous things to, to do. They're told, oh, this is safety. There's been gender affirming care for decades. There have always been trans people like the, all of these sorts of memes that have been invented in the last three or four years that are extremely contestable. Let's say that's the most generous thing I can say. But you had gone through a conditioning process where you did not see removing your own male anatomy as the most extreme form of sexual violence. You had stopped seeing it that way and started seeing it as, and one that was self-inflicted with your own complicity and your own choice. You had come to see it as attaining my authentic self. So you remember that conditioning process and it happened on a very primitive internet chat application. And so you understand what these people on Instagram and Reddit and TikTok, they are being, and you only, and then you experience the extremity of having that, having that thing that ISIS or whatever, Genghis Khan would do to captured prisoners, right? Yeah, the estrogen first and then the, mm-hmm. then the vaginal, yeah, Genghis Khan's harem was... R- Right, one of the most hirsute in in the world at the time. <laughs> so you experience that phenomenon, and it, it wouldn't be till how long that you are like I inflicted medicalized sexual violence onto myself. Yeah, I still don't see it that way. Okay, you know what's really this really blew my mind recently. It's in a tab. I don't want to go dig for it, but it was a paper that came out this week that that's talking about detransition rates. Yeah. And it starts off by saying, oh, anybody who went through medical transition as an adolescent Mm. will not, will probably not be able to frame their experience in terms of regret Mm. because Mm. they don't feel like they had any control over it. Yeah. And you have to feel some degree of autonomy in order to experience something as regret. Uh, And I read that and I was like, yeah, because like I've had so many people say, Oh, you're so you regretted this. I'm like, I, it's not regret. It's something that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I would choose for it to happen again, but I, it's so massive. It is, it overtakes my imagination so badly but uh-huh. I cannot conceive of it as regret. Uh-huh. So you saw the interview with Masha Gessen, right? In the New Yorker recently. No, she, I have- She's like, look, we have to acknowledge that there's no evidence for the pediatric transition. But she goes on to say that and she's had kids. But she goes on to say, I'm happy that I have kids. But if I was 13, I would have done it if this option was available to me for me to transition and I wouldn't have had my kids and that would have been fine. I would just would have had a different life. Cool. And, and I, if you're 13, I guess you really, it's what you're talking about. It's like, you don't have enough a sense of agency to, and so there's a quote, uh, did you read time to think? Yeah, I'm a good portion of the way through it, but I haven't. Finished. So there's this passage where the doctor is like, gay kid, trans kid. Eh, <laughs> you sort of, okay, maybe this kid could move to London and just become a lesbian and 
but she doesn't want to do that. She's in a rural British setting where she wants to be trans and is comfortable doing that. So we trans her. Yeah. And of course, you have that critique that is, we heard a lot of it at Genspec. I just had to go through puberty to realize that I was gay and why are we transing them? But you see the alternative view. Oh, you could, you could go either way based upon the social incentives. And we're offering that to people and they're free to choose it. Yeah. Is that like, what does one, it's like we, we have removed a kind of sense of normative, right? We've, re, we, we've lost this external normative standard to be able to say, it's better to be in your intact body than to be on a medical leash for life. Yeah, it's the same. You, if you, that's what your you desire know, is. So the, you don't right. have to go through the wrong puberty. For, forget the, all of the evolution that has affected every form of life that led up to the creation of your being a human. Forget, forget that this is something that's happened for right. millions of years. Yeah. Uh, it's optional. 20, 2020, that's optional now. So in a way, it's just like an, it's an extension of the basic secular trends of choice and then treating your desire. And this is why libertarians, I think, like even very conservative libertarians, I think, can easily be hacked on this issue where it's very hard to say. We somehow entered this like cultural terrain where we are not able to say it would be healthier for you not to need to inject yourself you can inject yourself if that is your choice. And it's yeah. just a, it is just a matter of preference. But what you're here to say, and, and that I'm sure angers transgender people very much, is that, no, there's actually a baseline reality, like being on a medical leash sucks. And until you're on it, you'll never be able to experience how horrible it is. And if you could have yeah. avoided it, you, it should actually not be an option to you at a point where you're not able to understand what that actually means. I haven't talked about this mm. in this discussion yet, but yeah. I am in a lot of ways sexually dysfunctional as a result of right. surgery. Yeah. And that was when I was 19. Yeah. Hey, kids, get your dick cut off. It's going to be great. Did Had you been misled about how well that oh, yeah. thing that they were going to create would function? And Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's I don't know if it's like this in the community now. Yeah. But back then everybody would lie about their results. Uh-huh. And they would do it in order to get more people into it because misery loves company or just because they uh, would be felt embarrassed to Yeah. It's complex. I think it's nobody wants to seem like they're a fool for getting what they asked for and yeah. so they right. exaggerate their happiness. So that that tweet that I sent you, <laughs> where the where she's transitioned young, have or whatever, have been transitioned fifteen years, and yeah, the sex is better than the it's ever is, been. Yeah, good. Congratulations. But, but it, that doesn't I, seem, that doesn't seem like it could be possible. <laughs> it, it doesn't seem like it could be possible because you are having a an extremely aggressive surgery on one of the most complicated nerve bundles in the body. Yeah. And you think that after having all of that stuff moved around surgically, that things are going to work the same? No. 
But the theory is that they take this sensitive tissue with its nerve endings, they invert mm -hmm. it, and it continues yeah, to be parts. sensitive and have nerve endings and connected to yeah. pleasure centers of the brain. And that, yeah, in theory. But in practice, everyone knows that it, it, of course that can't that cannot be possible. Yeah, let's say that there's going to be a highly variable results. Yeah, but it's not going to be. If, I, I talked about having your filling filled in your tooth earlier. Yeah. If you go in to have a filling, what you expect every single time is if you, if you have bad oral care like I did when I was younger, what you expect every time is that you'll go in, have the Novocaine or have the anesthetic, hear the drill go, smell a little smoke as your tooth gets burned away, have the filling packed in there, and then go home and then you're done. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. If it were the case that yeah. about 30% of the time yeah. that you went in to get a filling, you were facing having a, your tooth be lost completely. Yeah. Like we would consider this a very bad type of surgery. We might say, oh, 30% of the time is just perfect. You're, you have your filling, you can keep chewing, it's fine. 30% of the time you have the filling, you can't chew on that side of your mouth anymore because if you do, you'll lose the filling. But otherwise, it cosmetically, it looks okay. That's the, the group I'm in. And then the rest of the time, you just lose the tooth. And then you hear people go, well, my filling went great. I don't know. Everybody should have a filling. That's great. And everybody says that in order to not feel like a fool. And right. whether that's true or not, everybody says that. And yeah. Oh, I lost a tooth, but the, the implants they have now are wonderful. I'm <laughs> and, way happier with my implant than I was with my tooth anyway. And then, know, there's so much cope. And then encouraging others to to do it so that you're less alone in that category. Oh yeah. My, my dentist was wonderful. You should go see him. He was so kind to me after I lost that tooth. That was the second tooth I lost to him, but he made sure that I got a good referral to the implant guy and my implants are wonderful. So you're, like it's madness. This is how sex change sur surgery works. So your life complication rate is just crazy. So your life coincides with this transformation, this, in transgenderism. And I suppose you didn't have any anticipation of what it would grow into. I think there's a certain point where you feel like things are getting better. And then at a certain point where you things feel like everything careened out of control. And that latter moment would be around 2019. Is that right? Or where things careened out, you mean with the whole with just the, the, the cultural thing where this has, yeah. this is now. It's a little, it, the seeds were planted way before that. There's a, I don't know if you know very much about the origin of the term turf. Not that much. I remember yeah. the, I remember when I started noticing it back in 2014, yeah. where they cancel Jermaine Greer, they cancel the director of Boys Don't Cry. And I'm like, something is yep. happening. So yep. that's about when it started getting crazy. Yeah. So there's a, a, a publication called Trans Advocate. Uh-huh. And its editor is a trans woman called Kristen Williams. Yeah. And Kristen is a fabulous propagandist, mm. a natural, yeah. so talented at this. Uh huh. And uh, I think a hateful human being, probably just based on, uh -huh. on some of Kristen, Kristen's political goals. But there's a website called The Turfs. Kristen started really networking and popularizing the term turf. A lot of these early memes that, 
that were about Janis Raymond killed 50,000 trans women or something like that. I don't know if you remember that at all. No. Stuff like that this, yeah. was all founded and circulated by one person so, who got the ball rolling incredibly well. In 2014, it's this sectarian, intra-left, intra-community of the marginalized yes. beef. Yes. That's right. Earlier than that, but yeah, by the time you heard it in 2014, yes, it yeah. was still that. And you're a part of it. You're a player on this scene. You're already the, are you already the pick me trans or? <laughs> yeah, there was no pick me's back then. I was, <laughs> give me a second. I'll remember the term that they used to okay. describe me, but Quisling. Quisling. So but, I mean, you're a heterodox figure among a group of weirdos, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of heterodoxy even today, right? Yeah. Like you get beyond whatever the what the statements from Glad and HRC. I'm sure you have mm-hmm. a community full of people who have all kinds of opinions, and you're one of them. And they recognize you as here's this, here's another transsexual who whatever who takes these weird positions and yes, and self hating, self hating, assimilationist, mm-hmm. right? Trying yes. to cis normative. Yeah, yeah. You know that you have something deeply in common with all those people. And they know that they have something deeply in common with you too. Yep, uh, whether they like it or not. Now, do they allow you to exist or they try to drive you out of existence? Or That's such an interesting question. <laughs> what The first technology on Twitter mm. to help with... The first thing that was for blocking accounts, yeah. other people's accounts at scale was something called the block bot. Uh-huh. Yeah. And this was created by... His handle's Ulan. His name will come back to me in just a minute. Okay. So when the BlockBot was created, I was the test case that they used for deciding whether or not... This was supposed to be designed to help people on the left be safe from right-wing accounts. Almost instantly, it was used to protect trans people from having to see opinions about the nature of sex, Mm. that sex is real. Yeah. And I was the first transsexual that was, or the first trans person who was added to that to, to separate me and isolate me mm. from the online community so that I couldn't have these conversations with other trans people. Yeah, yeah. So by 2014, your kind of epiphany on the women's festival that you shouldn't be there was a decade prior. And then... yes. And then, so over the next decade, you develop this critique that you have or this position that like, okay, I'm a transsexual, I'm a male, and it's better to live this way. And it actually eases dysphoria. Is that right? Or is that the position you take? To- yes. It's, I have way less dysphoria now. I'm not trying to fake it. I acknowledge what I am. I continue to, now you continue to present in this way. What's the main reason for that? In what way? I'm wearing a man's shirt here. If you cut what your hair... The, what's the problem? If you cut your hair and we're just like, I'm a guy, I'm a detransitioned male or whatever. Like, why did you not take that step? Why don't I socially... Why don't I assume more social gender cues to yeah. help people oh. have a clear resolution that I'm male than female? Are you still... Are Do you, you still go by she, her? Or are you still transsexual? Or I guess... You, you have you've taken a step that is revocable. So is that really all that it is? Or yeah. I have. I've taken an irrevocable step. And right. but I on my podcast on heterodorks, yeah. 
My co-host Nina Paley calls me he, him. Yeah, yeah. There are a number of feminists who, whose pleasure it is to call me he, him. <laughs> I did an interview with Richie, the British guy, right. and he uh, he's a gentry, he's detransitioned male, and he's male. He presents mm-hmm. as male, and and uh, yeah. he also took a irrevocable step. But uh, he did. He and I actually have a little point of disagreement, and uh-huh. and had a conversation in Killarney about uh-huh. this topic okay. about whether. I have any who uh, represent uh, the views of men who've been through this medicalization process. Okay. And huh. I was wearing a top to, uh, to uh, I have breasts, right? So I was wearing something so that they weren't flopping around. And he's like, there you are. Uh, I'm like, okay. Well, I don't know what that what, means. But what was the implication of that? I don't understand. I don't know. It's this is like okay. inside baseball stuff, but yeah, yeah. Like I'm wearing clothes that I'm comfortable in. Yeah. What I was wearing at most of the time at the Killarney conference, I, there was one point where I was trying to like be under the radar at EPATH, so I did wear more girly clothes. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, I was just wearing very androgynous, gender neutral stuff: t-shirts and jeans. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wear men's shoes the whole weekend. I always right. do. I always wear men's shoes because they're more comfortable. Okay. I'm like, what do what do I have to do? And like you said, oh, but your hair is long. Okay, I cut my hair, and uh, then what else? Okay, button this up. Put a binder on and button this up. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, now what? Oh, can you speak a little bit lower? Sure. How's uh, this? What do okay. I have to do? <laughs> I don't know if you're trying to do anything. Yeah. I guess you. Oh, I... stop sculpting your eyebrows. These are my natural eyebrows. What do I have to do? Well, okay. It's the name, right? Yeah, at my yeah. tennis club, I've asked yeah. people to call me Corey, which is what okay. I was called by my mother. So are you a detransition male? <laughs> I'm a disenchanted transsexual. Okay. I don't know if that makes me a disenchanted... I am are, a male. Are you still... But you have to be on a hormone, is that right? Or And that hormone... I, is that I, it is strongly suggested by my doctors that I be yeah. on a hormone. Could that hormone be T if you wanted it to be? It could what would be. that mean? And that would mean... So it would probably either be a shot or a gel. I don't yeah. think there's an oral option for it. If it's a gel, it's something that you would that I would apply, I think, daily is yeah. how it works. And then after a while, yeah. probably because I started estrogen so young, I never got facial hair. So if I took testosterone, I would probably start having little darker hairs coming in and... Yeah chin hairs and God forbid chest hairs. Yeah. And the hair on my arms would probably start getting a little darker and I would probably start feeling a, a lot more sexual arousal. Yeah. Which with, which is not something that I can do a lot with. But you, you become more aggressive also. I don't know. I'm, I think I'm capped out there. <laughs> I uh, might. Yeah, I might. I have been talking to this other pick me trans person mm-hmm. who, you know, and what that person said to me was, yeah, I could have bottom surgery tomorrow or detransition tomorrow. So in that liminal phase. Yeah. And I think at a certain, I think after a certain number of years, people end up there. And there was a Washington Post story about this trans, trans youth, 17 years old, I think in the time of 
anti-trans backlash and this oh. very trans activist type story. And then he shows up in, there's a video of him that shows up in the St. Louis Courier or whatever it is. They do that story about the clinic supposedly debunking Jamie Reed. He's non-binary now, right? And oh, wow. his video is supposed to be an example of oh, the system worked out. They put me on a, a blocker, an implant when I was 12 and I was yeah. on it for a few years and I was a woman. That, that They don't mention this in the Washington Post piece one year ago. Right. And now I'm, I'm living my parents' house and I'm just the kind of nerdy dude that I always was, right? And he's not, oh, I was so hurt. I'm going to travel the country revealing my pain as a detransitioner. He's just kind of like, this is my gender journey. I did this thing. He's, he, probably, he probably has a micro penis. He probably is sterilized for life. But it's just kind of like he didn't have agency. He made these choices. These are the conditions of his life now. He's okay with it. And, yeah, and, and I think he didn't that's, make the choices. That's the one thing that right I would now the way he's coping he didn't it, make the choices. Right now, the way he's coping is to say, yeah, being halfway is where I want to be. Being like halfway between male and female is where I want to be. And that's how he's coping. It's being presented to us as a successful outcome that like debunking Jamie Reed's narrative that like we're, we're like giving these people who are in no position to make these choices, these options, or we're influencing them. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating because anybody Mm -hmm. who's an adult ought to be able to understand how much agency a child has. Yeah. And they ought to be able to understand how much pressure. We used to understand this thing called peer pressure. We used to understand social pressure. We're just completely discounting that and going, oh, they're autonomous. They have autonomy. They've got embodiment goals. They're tiny little adults making these decisions. Who are we to tell them what their Mm -hmm. identity should be? Like, you sons of bitches, let (laughs) these kids get medicine, get have hormones, have surgery. Yeah. fucks up their bodies in ways that is going to make it here's the bottom line for a lot of these young people it is going to be very difficult for them to find loving long-term partners because you have fucked up their bodies in ways that are going to complicate relationships forever yeah. a lot of them are going to be able to do it a lot of them are not their chances are going to be a lot worse than they would have been if you hadn't fucked with their bodies yeah and there's no way that you can take all of the success stories because there will be out of a, out of 10,000 or 100,000 kids that you're doing this to, the, of course, there's going to be some su- success stories. It might be outliers and yeah. maybe not, but you're going to yeah. grab them and say, never mind behind the curtain about these kids who've killed themselves, whose lives are devastated, who are lonely, who are by themselves, who feel like they're outcasts. Never mind all of them. Look at these brilliant people. The analogy that I make is there's a lot of people who will earnestly, sincerely swear that Scientology or Reverend Sun Young Moon saved their lives and may well have in the sense that it gave them a community. It gave them a whole like structure of desire and striving at a point where they were very low, but it could have been something else. And it could have been a thing that didn't expose them to really high, like 30 to 60% likelihood of screwing themselves up in the way that you just described. But the fact that you do have these people who sincerely testify that my life is, my life is saved, 
it comes down to this thing where you have these people then on the other side saying, I've been damaged. You have these anecdotal accounts and it's, and they didn't follow, they didn't follow up or keep any data on who is who. And there, there may not ever be a way to collect that data because there's always going to be a significant percentage who are lost to follow up. And usually for, do you assume that the loss to follow up is someone who is <laughs> bitter, unhappy, doesn't want to face these questions? Is that a fair assumption uh, you make in most cases? When a couple of years ago, yeah, I found a Twitter account that has gone dysfunctional that is called something like Good Trans Tweets. Yeah. I'll try to find it for you. Yeah. It stopped publishing new tweets at around 2016. But what it was for... Uh-huh. was for young girls who wanted to transition to be boys to yeah. share their wins with each other, uh-huh. build community around. If you go back and you look at the accounts that are still active, mm-hmm. that were that had high engagement with this good trans tweets account, yeah, these girls, I describe this as failure to launch. Yeah, These girls are in their early to mid-20s. Mm. They are still into childish pursuits like relationship shipping and supernatural Mm. fandom and anime, cute animal drawings, fursonas. Like they're stuck at this adolescent level of social development. Yeah. Most of them, not all of them, but that's very typical. And for many of them, they, their features have masculinized because of the testosterone. They are still evidently women. Yeah. Most of them. There's a few who look like men. Yeah. But most of them look like soft, cute women that yeah. have goatees. Uh-huh. And they've got he, they pronouns frequently in their bios. And I'm like, why is it Yeah. that... There, there. Now, like I said, there's some exceptions. There's some that that look like men who show off their part, like photos of like good photos of themselves with their partners, where they look healthy. They're getting outside. They are engaging in a community. They're doing stuff. Minority. That's the outliers. Yeah. The majority are stuck at home, somewhere in Tennessee, writing up plans to shoot up a church school. No, I'm kidding. That's the only one. But it's the same sort of archetype of like the girl, the woman, the adult woman, the 28 year old woman who shot up the school in Tennessee yeah, had just was still living at home and had right. just gotten a, an art, like some sort of art certificate or art degree. Yeah. And there's photos of her final project and it looks like something a high school student would produce. Yeah. Total, totally stuck at this adolescent age. Mm-hmm. So what was your question? I think I was trying to answer it. No, I lost track of my question. Sorry, but it's like, I started going off on the rant. The, the, but, these kids are not assimilating. They're not becoming, they're right. not maturing into functional, healthy, happy, productive, accomplished, accomplished members of the society that they're trying to join. They're not yeah. doing it. They're not succeeding. Right. Now, you did do that. Did giving up the dream of, uh, did that, help or did you had you already done it did it help you it helped, actually that or, it did help it or, did help okay. it did help yeah. me like because you, like, up to that point 
you're a software engineer. I was having a hard or... time. Uh, yeah, I'm a software developer. Okay. So, but that's something you were able to do. You did that. And I'm very fascinated by, I don't know, that thing that I said that like a quarter of all like graphics designers. Yeah. So they're do. No, know, I, I... Gra- software, not designers, uh-huh. graphics developers, the people who make the engines for the games, things like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, are trannies. I, I, I believe that. Are, but are they transitioned or are they just like Aspies that kind of, they got into this weird subculture and they're identifying as women. They're not, yeah. they're not transitioning. Or, yeah. The thing is like the Washington Post poll, it's like we're talking about medical transition, but the Washington Post poll says that like 60% of those who are now identify as trans or non-binary are not doing anything. So it's weird that they're are not the, medicalizing. Yeah, they're pressing this medicalization on kids. They're encouraging them. That's right. That's right. It's it, there's but, nothing sensical. But like most people are just they're just not medicalizing at all. They're just kind of like demanding that they get access to women's spaces without having transitioned, which is very nope, problematic not even, in itself. Right? No, nope, two out of two out of three of those people that were in that Washington Post poll. Yeah who are non-medicalized but trans are just people that have updated their fucking bios to put they as their That's pronouns. It. Right. Yeah, I'm not even kidding. They yeah. they might change their names because uh-huh. some of them have, like there's so many video game character names and right. uh, yeah. it's just ridiculous. They, they may have changed their names, but they are not doing anything differently socially uh-huh. at all. And I guess since I've put my foot in my mouth this far, I'll see how much more I can cram in. A friend whose pronouns are he, they. Yeah. And that's in his bio. He's never brought up that he's non-binary. Yeah. He's as male and masculine as any other man. He's yeah. a little bit more sensitive than the average man, I would say. Okay. And kind. He's a nice yeah. guy. But there's nothing that would distinguish him in a lineup of any other men, not even long hair. So Just, just he, they. So as a floating signifier that whatever, for whatever reason, people want to do it, that seems okay. They're, on the basis of that, they're not trying to force their way into bathrooms or, or competing in sure. sports. If you're not doing those things, sure. and then re- you're just going to play around with your pronouns, that seems okay. It's a little annoying and pretentious, but that's all it is. And there's plenty of ways to be annoying and pretentious. That's not all it is because... Uh-huh. Now these, now some of these people like Demi Lovato, for a while she's she stopped doing this. Yeah, but right. now when she says, "Oh, call me they," yeah, oh, she's a trans influencer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and definitely, if Demi Lovato, they, she, they, if she, they shows up yeah. to talk about how fucked up it is to medically transition children, yeah, definitely take she, they's point of view on it instead of somebody who's been through this. For 30 years. <laughs> so the medical transition, it really is the real focus. The kids, yeah. it's the real focus. The kids are the real focus. It, yes, it's, they are. it's the people who look in the mirror and see Richard Levine, who dream of a world where you look in the mirror. A- Admiral. And Admiral. The people who look in the mirror and see Admiral Levine, and who are like, I want to see this puberty block 14-year-old. That There was a video that went viral the other day. Of a, it's like a field hockey playing George Takai 
retweeted a field hockey playing like 14 year old really looks like a girl. And it's, I want that to be the face of trans. I want that to be the yeah. reason I want that to be what people think about when they are considering whether to let, you know, trans women into, right. into our if, intimate spaces and competitions. And um, if it matters, your mic input, I think is on from your laptop now, not from your, Oh, you can hear can the, you, all right. I hear the all echo. Right. Can you tap your, can you tap your mic? I'll, uh, we can actually, you should be able to see on your Riverside panel. Welcome back. Okay. There it goes. That sounds good. Man, you're going to have to download like seven segments off of your Riverside to get this. Yeah. So uh, right around 2019, you're realizing that the no gatekeeping model has taken over, that they have thrown out any cautions entirely and a whole new culture of medical transition has come into existence. To yes. the point where in a couple of years, the people who originated this and brought this to America become whistleblowers in the Washington Post. And I like, listen, th this is not, we're not in Kansas anymore. And that's, and you learn this because you're trying to, you're trying to persuade providers to exert more gatekeeping, reform it from yes. within. And you realize no way. That's not, it's, there's just no possibility that anyone's going to listen to us. And is that the moment where you're like, okay, we got to ban it? No. At that point, I thought there's the biggest problem is that there's no liability mm. that falls yeah. on the providers anymore. Yeah. So you get these medications, you get these surgeries. If something goes wrong, there's absolutely no way to mm. be made whole. Like physically, there's no way, there's no way to get compensated for the injury either. Yeah. Because um, you signed an informed consent piece of paper that, that, that right. immunizes them from anything. So what you ought to be able to do is say, here's the standards of care. Here's how you actually treated me. Standards yeah. of care say I should have had continuous psychotherapy for six months as a, to evaluate right. my competency and to ensure that I was a good candidate for this procedure. But you prescribed me testosterone or puberty blockers after one visit and then testosterone after a second visit and then breast amputation yeah. uh, three months later. There's data that shows that this has been happening all the time. So the Times so Magazine what... story was about this. It was about like whether WPATH was going to keep saying in their standards of care that you need that psychotherapy, even though nobody pays attention. Mm -hmm. It is right. an important matter when you go before a court, what those right. standards of care say. And those standards of care do say you're supposed to do a comprehensive psychological evaluation, even in SOC 8. And that was what the piece was about. The piece was providing reassurance, false reassurance, but nonetheless saying, oh, you have these like responsible people on the WPATH board, and then you have these radicals, and then you have people like Erica Anderson, who are maybe they're being a little excessive in their assaults on this care that has shown 
been shown to work. That's what the that's how the Times Magazine writer framed it. I think wrongly, but that is how she framed it. And then she's like, "Oh, in the end, the standards we're in good hands because WPATH ended up like keeping the requirement in their standards of care." And that is a significant thing because I think it's on the basis of that that you now have Chloe Cole saying. And then the other person, they are attempting to do what you just said we should be able to do. And we'll see whether or not they'll be able to do it. But Yeah, but they can't. They signed a re- release and they have that. In, in That's not enough. That's uh, not enough. So you think they can't? I'm not I mean, just saying that. I'm not just complaining. Oh, I'm so not you're just, just saying, saying that they're going to lose their case? That's what you're saying? Like that case is not going to fly? It's it, there. It's going to be a complete uphill battle. There are so many reasons why taking on mm. these types of harms that these clinicians are doing in a courtroom is so difficult uh-huh. because but why can you, I, why the, can you not say you're supposed to give me six months of medical care and instead you did it after three visits if that's the, if that's the truth you just said you should be able to do that and now you're saying you should be able to you can't but why not if well, that's because, what their standard says <laughs> what'll happen is the uh-huh. clinicians will say those are guidelines yeah those are the guidelines so in this case we did do a full psycho biopsychosocial evaluation of the patient. We determined that they really did understand all the risks. Yeah. They understood that they would not be able to breastfeed and they knew that they were going to possibly have some scars and injuries and they knew it 16. They were totally competent. So we said there's, and that's the guideline is six months to, so that we can understand that, but we understood it faster because the patient was able to talk about these issues very, really clearly. Okay. It's almost like they were following a script off of Tumblr. And that'll be it. And that'll be it. Okay. Because a jury or a judge needs to mm-hmm. say, to, to hear the evidence and go, you went to this provider. They said that they were going to remove your breasts. You understood that they're going to remove your breasts. You've testified in court that they're going to remove your breasts. They did. There were no complications. What's the problem here? Okay. Oh, but those are those. That's they, it's called a standard of care, but those are more guidelines. There's nothing binding. There's mm-hmm. nothing binding. Okay, so that's your read, and I've heard other people say the same thing. That like, oh, yeah. so like the purpose is more pu- publicizing the issue rather than winning the case. Like they don't really think they can win the case, or maybe they do, or but if they do, they're wrong. Oh, in your view, <laughs> well, these lawsuits that are happening right now, yeah are approaching it from a different angle yeah. than medical harm. Okay. They're approaching it from fraud. Yeah, yeah. So that theory might actually have better legs than mm-hmm. medical harm. Okay. So you but, came well, you came to realize the inadequacy and then you saw it as there should be more liability or whatever. So were you seeking that kind of reform? I was. So I I had even or, yeah. Yeah, I'd worked with some activists here in Indiana yeah. to put together a piece of legislation that would address this by extending the statute of limitations on any of these types of procedures. Yeah. And just we were not prepared for the avalanche of legislation that came through. And I was personally not prepared for the shenanigans that WPATH pulled right upon the release of the Standards of Care 8, yeah. which the Standards of Care... SOC 8 had been in public review for about nine months before it was released. And during that entire time in the adolescent chapter, they had age guidelines. Uh And then after they published or after they submitted for publication, but before it actually 
appeared in the public. They submitted, like after the last second, they submitted a correction that removed all of the age recommendations. So for almost a year, everyone who had a chance to look at that chapter was saying, okay, our criticism, they want to start cross-sex hormones at 14 now is their recommendation. We can argue about that, if that age is right or not, but 14 is at least, uh, nope, they got rid of all that stuff. Surgery at 16, nope, let's get rid of all that stuff. So getting rid of those guidelines, which nobody was going to listen to anyway, because the guidelines did, they were guidelines and they they allowed room for discretion in cases where it was viewed as a necessity and everything can be viewed as a necessity. That's Um, right. But why did they take this step of just openly, like what, if you, if they always have discretion why just strip out the whole thing and make it obvious to everybody? Is it, what's the sort of, are they just in an echo chamber where don't they don't, doesn't that undermine their authority? That's the Genspect's sort of proposition that they did so by that act. Is it hubris or is it actually, or is there a real logic behind it where it's like, ah, like you're, everybody's free to do what they want. They're saying that like, this protects them against liability. How does it protect them against liability when you have no standard at all? I don't understand. <laughs> Maybe I'm... I know this sounds crazy, but if there's no standard, if you have a document that's called the standard, yeah, and it's just a set of guidelines, yeah, and it's completely wishy-washy, anybody who doesn't believe me, they should go out and read the adolescent chapter because it's a fantastic illustration of how wishy-washy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's practically no guidance in that yeah. whole document, yeah. then the, there is no act or behavior on the part of the clinicians that can co- contradict it because there's no guidelines anymore. Yeah. But they still do say that you're supposed to do psychotherapy for six months. You, I don't still, think that they do. You're supposed to do a comprehensive evaluation. Yes. That's still a term yes, that you're they supposed have to do there. that. But that's you right. can define that however to, you want. You can right. define that however you want. Your, competency. You can define that however you want in your practice, and you can define it however you want in front of a judge. And if you have a signed release form, you're proceeding from the idea that a kid can give informed consent. It, it, it doesn't seem impossible to say that a child can't give informed consent, but I guess, oh, the parents also had to give consent. And so... Yeah. Yeah. If this was happening at one one thousandth of the scale that it is right now, yeah, n- there'd be no laws, right? There, there, legislators wouldn't care. If yeah. this was happening at one one thousandth scale, I'd be a lot less concerned. So you tried to, you had a bill about extending statutes of limitations because it takes a decade or more for people to really regret. And I think the Republicans in the House, they have such a bill, right? Don't they? I think, didn't Tom Cotton? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was so pleased when that happened. I just, it was just the, Holly, I think is the Uh senator who was pushing that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then I think on the House side, I think there was an Indiana representative actually. Okay. Coincidentally. Yeah. But you did not know what was about to come. And I think what was about, I think the reason you didn't know it is because it came so fast. Yeah, I wasn't on the inside planning committee for this, but there were a few groups that definitely were. Uh Uh-huh. Is it a Heritage Foundation? Uh, It's more the Alliance Defending Freedom. 
is right. is one of the main coordinators. Okay. So they're suing, they're fighting the ACLU, and then they're also behind the legislative push for the bans. And you see the bans and they're coming from they're coming from the conservative Christian and you're like, Are they? ADF is, yeah. ADF is a Christian right organization. Oh, they are, but yeah, yeah. I don't know that all the bands... Let me tell you, the bands... Yeah. The ADF is not the only group that's right. doing this. They're a big component, but they're not... There's a lot of... There are a lot of smaller groups. Yeah, yeah. And many many of whom have memberships that are liberal. Yeah, yeah. And not conservative. But it's the GOP legislators who are voting for it. These are it party is, line. These are party line votes it's, for and against. It's not for lack of trying to reach yeah, yeah. out to Democrats, but no, the no. Democrats are completely cowed. A few Democrats have crossed party lines, and I think they've mostly yeah. been black. Am I right to say that? Or I think in Texas, yeah. Sean Theory gave a an absolutely incredible yeah, yeah. explanation of why she was voted for mm-hmm. in favor of the regulating pediatric right. sex changes. A but when the ban surfaced. Reasoning. When the ba- because you did mm-hmm. not have the vision to ban, you had the vision to extend liability. When the ban surfaced, right. you're like, yes, I- I'm ready to go. Because even though you did posit some notional but also real person that it would be better for, on balance, you're like, it's gone so out of control that we just have to ban it. Is that was that kind of your logic or? Yes. Yeah. And it was WPATH's associate that was the final straw for me. Uh-huh. If I was walking around my house, like mumbling to myself. There's no th- th- good the faith only, interlocutor yeah. on the other side that's going to get this under control. Is that what you took from SSCA? It's, it's, it, it is a part of that. The other part is yeah. it's just structural at this point. Yeah. Is look, let's say we have Marcy Bowers. I'm going to pick on Marcy Bowers for a second. Yeah. Marcy Bowers says, when you start these kids on when we start these boys on puberty blockers and then transition them to estrogen and you start them at puberty blockers at Tanner stage two. Yeah. Which is the W path recommendation, by the way. Yeah. They're going to be inorgasmic. They're not going to have sexual function in all cases. Yeah. As far as she's concerned, that's what she believes. All right. So Marcy Bauer says, okay. Lining to construct the uh, the neo vagina. Yeah. Marcy Bauer says, all right, I'm not going to perform surgery on this, um, on this cohort anymore. Somebody, there's five other people that will say, oh, I will. Yeah. I will. Uh-huh. So you go through and every single one of these people that you convince, take it easy, make these not six months on paper, but six months of therapy and practice before you even consider any medicalization. Yeah. The parent, their parents will just say, nope, I'm going to go find this other person who's going to do it now. Yeah. So structurally, it is mm-hmm. actually impossible for yeah. the... I know some people listening will think there is no good gender clinicians. Fine. That's yeah. fine. But imagine, let's pretend for a second that there is somebody who's assiduously careful. I am not going to... I'm going to have 100% confidence. Yeah. And I'm going to back it up by having two other expert opinions... Yeah. validate this, that they believe that this is the right thing. And we're going to do constant monitoring and it's going to be even in a clinical setting. Right. They're not going to get any patients. Yeah. So the people, if you can imagine the very best case clinicians, yeah. there's no, structurally, there's no place for them to practice. Yeah. 
So we have a situation so, where there can only be substandard care as a practical matter. No one can even meet the standards of the absurd standards of WPATH. And no one's right. even no one's even trying. And anyone that would try would get no traction in the market. And so it's what's the name of that guy? AJ Eckert, who that's the standard of care. Right? AJ Eckert is the guy who responded to a Washington Post being like you don't need psychological evaluation because being trans is not a pathology. That was his statement. Oh, right. He's just like, that's the standard. And that's right. the real standard in practice because the market moved in that direction. And because there is a socially contagious cohort of youth who are, who are trading this information with each other and who, are, who say what you need to say and what you need to say is very minimal. And that's it. Everybody's just going to get the maximal medicalization that is available to them. And none of them are competent <laughs> by virtue of their age to understand what they're taking on. You understand mm -hmm. what they're taking on. And here's my question. You're, con you're confident asserting that everybody who has been transitioned as long as you have been, right? You put them on truth serum, they're not going to dispute any, they're not going to dispute one thing that you say. Oh, there's always lots of opinions. They'll dispute some things. But they, they, there's one thing that they can't, there's one thing that they can't dispute. Yeah. That their sex is what they were born as. Yeah. Everybody knows if you're born male, you're always male. If you're born female, you're always female. There's no disputing that. You'll, you know that. And you can be in denial for 20 years, but at the end of that 20 years, you're going to know it. Yep. And let me tell you one of the forms that denial takes, because I've been through this too. Oh, I know I was, I know I was born male, Yeah. but I am for all intents and purposes, female. Yeah. So one footnote about how I was born doesn't make a difference. I am for all intents and purposes. Nope. That's denial also. Because for all intents and purposes, you're not. Yeah. Maybe for some, but not for all, and, you, and not for the most important ones. You did not have to insist on and demand preferred pronouns because you passed well enough that you just got them. Yeah, that seems to be the what happened. You didn't have to enforce pronoun etiquette onto people. You were, for all intents and purposes, a woman, but that was also just a cope. Yes. And... 100% of people, no matter at what age they transition, will reach the end of their cope. Some, one way or another, yeah. Yeah, okay. And, and so the bills come through. At what point are you like, I got to speak out, I got to participate in getting these things passed? This is frustrating. Can I ask you a question? I, yeah. I know you don't want to make this about you. Are you an atheist? I don't have a, I don't have a dogmatic... A I don't have a dogmatic yeah. insistence that there is no God. I tend to believe that there isn't though, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm in the same camp. I don't call yeah. myself an atheist, but I'm like, right. so this is something that was very frustrating to me is I was, and I have friends who are religious and I was like, I have to start speaking out about this stuff. Like I don't, it has nothing to do with whether I want to or not. It has nothing to do with whether it, it's like a, a bird that has to fly to migrate. Yeah. The bird doesn't know. You, you can't make the bird tell you why. The bird's yeah. just doing it. I'm like, I have to do this. And my religious friends are like, oh, that's called a calling. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, you're called to do it. 
You can do no other. Yeah, I don't have, it, it is, I cannot conceive of not doing it. And so I've had a few people that were like, oh, it's, I'm not saying this to flatter myself. Oh, you're so brave to get up there and do it. I'm like, I'm not, I don't have, this isn't, I'm, it's like a compulsion to do this. I'm not doing this because for admiration or for the history books or anything, I'm doing this because I don't have a, it, it does not make sense that there is a world where I'm not doing this. Do you feel that you are saving children? No. You know that scene in The Catcher in the Rye where he's I'm standing on the field and I want to save these kids from falling off? Do you, yeah. Do you feel like that's what you're doing or do you just feel like I just can't do otherwise? I, I don't feel like that at all. I know, in fact, yeah. that, for example, I gave testimony in Ohio yesterday. Yeah. There's scores, maybe hundreds of families yeah, because they some of these families were they wrote testimony yeah. to the legislature saying, "Oh, I started transitioning my child when she I didn't know she was my daughter yet, but she was three years old, and now she's ten and thriving." Yeah, I know that this is going to create a lot of chaos for people. Yeah, so it's easier for me to imagine some of the pain that will be inflicted right. by these bills than anybody who will be saved by them. But what I know for an absolute fact yeah. is that this is like a trolley problem. Yeah. Yeah. God damn. Yes. I will throw the switch. Will I grab the switch and knowingly make sure that one person dies instead of five? Yes, absolutely. So you will, you stand up there and you say something that for hundreds of people, hundreds of parents or dozens or hundreds or whatever, many parents who have bought into the ideology of the trans child and you are you're pro- providing a very unwelcome message. How's it, how does it go over? Does it make them think? They don't want to have those thoughts, but th- th- at the same time, it's part of reality <laughs> and you're delivering it to them. How do you feel doing that to them? I guess you, you talked about your willingness to do the right thing, even if there are costs, but they all believe the my child's thriving my child's not committing suicide all depends upon the defeat of this bill right. uh, and so they must see you as the ultimate betrayer when there's a hundred trans kids doing a die-in at the legislature i don't know if you witnessed i was there yeah how do you feel Actually, how do you yeah. interact with them and they see you as the ultimate judas do they not do they attack you and revile you or or is there or do they hold off because you're trans? <laughs> they do revile me. Yesterday, one of the mothers of one of these kids said, you're a horrible person. Yeah. And I said, thank you. <laughs> Anybody who is doing this to their kids is not ready to understand the consequences of these choices yet. Mm-hmm. So... We have seen slowly that some of these parents of detransitioners have started opening up a little bit to talk about, Mm. I really believe that this was the right thing to do. Yeah. I didn't like it at first, Mm. opposed it, but all of the doctors, all of the teachers told me that this is necessary. Yeah. And I didn't want to take the chance of losing my kid. Uh Uh-huh. All of these parents that are doing this are in this stage of 
trying to keep their child alive, even though the danger is a lot less than they've been told it is. Yes. They don't want to take the chance. And they're, these people are not computers. Yeah. They're not going, oh, there's only a one in 20,000 chance. And they're, they want it to be a zero in a one chance. That's the odds that they're trying to get to, zero and one. Yeah. So they're not going to think about when their kid is 25 years old. Yeah. And is ruminating all of the time about how men aren't accepting of them and how they're not able to build relationships with women because women want to have a husband who can impregnate them and build a life and family together with. Yeah. So they're not thinking, they're not thinking of their 25 year old son who is still having to get testosterone every month at the clinic. Yeah. And who's scheduling a hysterectomy because the testosterone is fucking up his uterus. Yeah. They're not thinking about that situation. They're thinking of, I want there to be a zero and one chance of my kid killing themselves. So when I come along and I say, actually, this is really horrible for what you're doing to your kids because they're not, they're only going to be children for 20 years or so, give or take. And then they're going to be adults for 50 or 60 years, give or take. And they have to live with the consequences of all of your choices. Yeah. It's not the kid's choice. It's the parent's choice in every single case. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what the kid says. Kids say, yeah. could say, this is the thing that I want the very most in the world. It's yes. still not the kid's choice. It's always the parent's choice. There are, there are states now that are giving it to the, taking it away from the parents and giving it to the kids. So that's, it can't be given to the kids. In that case, it's taken away from the children and given to the state. Yes. But it's, it is never the child's choice, mm-hmm. ever the child's choice. Yeah. When I come along and I say, Hey, look, we're going to wait until these humans that you've created are old enough to actually understand choice actually have some world experience and some competency. And yeah. then if they choose it, then that's that, that's what the benefit of knowing what the world is about. Of course, they're going to be mad at me. And of course, they think I'm a traitor and a betrayer. But we cannot accept in our society, we cannot accept a set of rules or defaults that say that, oh, this is so frustrating. We cannot say that in order to make adult men like Admiral Richard Fuckface, whatever his name is, mm. happy about the, happier about their lack of transitioning as children. We yeah. cannot make it in our society yeah. that the regrets of men who didn't transition as children are prioritized over the actual lives of children. Mm. That is impossible. Sorry for the profanity. I'm a little keyed up. Yeah, no. Levine, sorry. Yes. So... Now, the bands have produced uh, this counter effect where blue states are they're, yes. they're giving choice to kids. They're allowing them to run away to a sanctuary state, put themselves in foster yes. care. And, yes. and uh, it's this scissor that is dividing society. It's dividing parents and it's dividing the country. It's producing really two different nations where... For in, now. In, and uh, despite the fact that they're obviously... There are defectors on the blue side, yeah. and, and I think they may even be a small majority, according to some polls, of those who are skeptical of pediatric transition. But it turns out that repeating slogans and nostrums can really shift public opinion to half of all Democrats or more when you have the president and other people saying it. And 
yeah, the American Academy of Pediatrics. And, uh, and then you have people really believing it. And you have, I was tweeting about these communities now where in places like Newton, Massachusetts, right? Like lower South Brooklyn, New York, Berkeley, California, right? Minneapolis, Minnesota, these like liberal enclaves where you can't say a damn thing against childhood transition because everybody knows somebody who's doing it. That's right. Uh, and even in the Midwest, by the way. No, even in Salt Lake City, Utah, right? That's like, right. So this meme, this thing that was on IRC in 1991, you saw it. You were like one of the first people picked off by this cascade. And then you just saw it ramp up and scale up. Yep. And now it's a normal part of middle-class life. And now they're targeting the children of migrant workers in Chico, California with a social transition. Unbelievable. <laughs> and it, it happened and it all met, metastasized so quickly. At the same time, like the Black Lives Matter frenzy metastasized really quickly and then has receded, right? Yes. After the inferno of the summer of 2020. Yeah. It, this is more institutionalized in a way. Do you see it receding? Do you see people seeing their way through it? Or does there need to just be a generation of of, of damaged kids in order to, to and, and, or would even, or will that even do it? It's obviously receding because there's pushback in more than a dozen states on this, yes. right? So that's a sign that the tides are, I don't know if they're, they've completely turned, but they're shifting. Yeah. But what we're going to see, here's what the trans people don't realize and they ought to. The signs of this are so clear. Mm. That is shocking to me that they don't understand. I understand. I've understood this for a long time. Yeah. I had no idea who Chloe Cole was, but I knew that a Chloe Cole was coming. Yeah. Right. The young woman who filed this newest lawsuit, I don't remember her name, but I didn't know who she was, but I knew that I was coming. Yeah. Right. In every single state where there's a gender clinic, yeah. there's going to be another Chloe Cole. Yeah. Every single state that there's a gender clinic, there's going to be another Chloe Cole. It's going to be a riot. Yeah. And when you've got 50 or 150 or 350 or 500 litigants yeah. trying all of these different theories to try to make these poor kids whole again, one of them's going to crack. Yeah. And then it's going to be over. It is going to be completely over. But that's no, it, that's inevitable. Yeah. But just because it's inevitable doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to run ahead of that and still prevent more victims in the future. The confidence you have that in the trolley problem situation, mm. that you're saving 20 and sacrificing one, they take the position that it's the other way around. And yes. like, so what gives you that confidence, just your own experience in the world of trans people and as a trans person yourself? <laughs> It isn't only my confidence. Yeah. So the thing that would really torpedo my confidence. Yeah. And I've, I, I, and I have, I still look out for this, but yeah. I spent a lot of intense time looking for w what would dissuade me yeah. is actually solid data. It doesn't have to be a randomized control test. I know some people think that's the, mm -hmm. the gold standard, but for some of these social things, it's not the gold standard or it can't, yeah. and it's not practical to do. Yeah. Uh, which is that argument is expanded out in Hannah Barnes's book at the, in the towards the 
beginning when the NHS was talking about why you can't do randomized control trials. But we're going to build up a body of data eventually. There's no data right now. Yeah. And when you talk to these clinicians, and it's just like what I laid out in my testimony. Yeah. This is not about healthcare. To the yeah. clinicians, it's not about healthcare. They don't talk about data. Yeah. And the times that they bring up data, yeah. it's phony. Yeah. We can go back to the sources that they're citing yeah. and just tear apart the paper-thin methodology. Yeah. So we know that these are people who are no longer healthcare providers. They are priests. They're a, re a religious class. And there's nothing that invalidates this. So I'm like, show me that there's good practices. As I said before, there, there might be a couple of good doctors, but we know that there's tons and tons of these clinics and, yeah. and clinicians that will sacrifice all of this. And they'll talk about it in the media. The gender clinic that's based out of here in Indianapolis, the one of the head doctors for it openly talks about lowering the standards. I, I talked to him in person and he refused to defend the standards. He said WPATH is too conservative and they're not going to abide by it. The so, uh, one fact that we do have, one piece of data, is that of those who go on hormones, 30, 30% stop. We don't have that data. I, I, I thought I did. I thought we did. Or there was a study. That yeah, that's, mis that's widely misunderstood data. Okay. Yeah. So what we know is, so this is from military families. Uh, yeah. So what they say is that of everybody who's been prescribed cross-sex hormones, yeah. who is persisting? Yeah. And there's ways to lose track of those people yeah. pretty easily. Okay. So we know that it could be up to 30% have right. discontinued, yeah. but we don't know if it's 1% or 29% or 30%. Okay. Oh, you've lost track of 30%. That's what we know. We've lost track of 30%. That's what but we know. 29% of them could be still on hormones. Yeah, probably not. But we don't know that 30% mm -hmm. desist. If the split was 10% are miserable and ruined <laughs> and 90% yeah. are happy, is that enough to say we have to just stop doing it? Yes, that's enough. That's enough. Which because, is why they're insisting um, on the 1%, which is like referring to a cohort that has zero to do with, that's the heavily gate-kept cohort. And of course, you were part mm -hmm. of that heavily gate-kept cohort and are in the... Not one of, the, not by any means, one of the worst outcomes. Lots, you know, the whole range of outcomes that are out there. That's right. And you're in the sort of seventieth percentile, you'd say. Yeah, I, I have the. I, I got the filling, and it looks cosmetically fine. I just can't chew on that side. Okay. Now, are you've had relationships? <laughs> yes. And your relation, you're interested in. Men, is that right? Or okay. Do you think homosexual transsexual is the right taxonomy taken from the Bailey book? Or I don't use that. Okay. I don't use that term. All right, but you also you can conceive of a life as an untransitioned gay man. Is that right? A different path. What do you mean conceive? Oh, if I had followed a different path. If you had followed well, a different path. If you had never found IRC. You would, yeah. have, you would have, by default, become an untransitioned gay man. Is that, is that kind of right? Or Yeah, I probably would have, yeah. 
So that's the thing I did. That's the thing I did tweet about where I was like, "Oh, we have these desistance rates from the old it's 90 percent desist left to their own devices because they were never right. told that blocking their PBD and going on cross sex hormone was an option." That was in that world. And you have all these people who provide these testimonials like Angus and Malcolm at the GenSpec conference who are like, look, like I needed to go through puberty, discover that like my early gender dysphoria was just a sign that I was going to be a gay man. But why do you have these gay men who want to trans kids then? And I think those people must be ones who feel like I'm a gay man. I missed out. Maybe I, maybe I really would have been happier had I had this option to trans myself. So I want to give people that option. Is there this other subpopulation of gay men that like wish they could have been trans? I don't think so. And is it like these, aren't these just constructed categories that, that in, in the past we constructed in a certain way such that like we produced a population of gay men and we could, as the, the people at the TAVI were joking, turn them into a population of trans women. Yeah. No, I think the deal here is that the, these gay men, and you see this with other liberals, right? is yeah. they're so determined to virtue signal, to have the right politics. Yeah, right. And in mm-hmm. fact, their continued participation in some of their communities depends on everybody having the yeah, same yeah. beliefs. That I think they're like, right. yeah, yeah. and very, uh, I would say this of a lot of liberals, sorry if that includes anybody who's watching yeah. this, tend to be very shallow uh, in terms of... Yeah. Not a feeling. I'm sure they're very deep feelers, but in terms of trying to understand how deep systems and interactions can become. Yeah. So gay men, yeah. So these liberals, no offense to liberals, I find that they have a very limited ability. I know this is such a parochial view, that they have a very difficult time understanding how larger systems actually interconnect. So they have a very difficult time. I feel like picking on a good friend who's a liberal. Okay. I apologize for picking on you if you watch this. We Mm. had a referendum to add an electric bus route to our city. And I voted Uh, against it. And my friend voted for it. And I said, this is untested. The route that they want to take was going to require lots of construction it's connecting two parts of the city where, that are not economically linked. The city, like the city, does not know how to plan this stuff in a way that, that that's beneficial. Oh, you're against mm-hmm. progress. You're against poor people. You're for car culture, and I, none of that's true. I just think that cities are shit making some of these decisions. And I laid out my arguments. I'm just def- like patting myself on the back now. So this is not even good content because I'm showing what a jerk I am. Of course, it's a huge disaster. And it's because the buses weren't made for this climate. I didn't know that at this time and neither did the city. They can't run their full routes. Nobody Uh knew that at the Uh time. It's all of this stuff where when you try to take on really difficult projects and you don't have enough information about it, your risk of failure is extremely high. So you cannot overcome these complexities by good wishes. You can't say... Oh, this would be so good to have. Yeah. That's not enough for it to be worthwhile to do. It being, wouldn't it be wonderful if yeah. doesn't does not solve all the complexities to make it possible to do. Yeah. And I have a very difficult time uh, yeah. when I talk to liberals 
getting them past the point that their intentions are almost beside the point. Yeah. Oh, you're so pessimistic. Yeah. Yes, I am pessimistic and I am critical. And as a consequence, more often than not, I'm also... Yeah, on the basis of post-Judas, because you have experienced it directly. It's not prejudice. It's the exact opposite. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I, I apologize for bagging on it into a complete constitu- constituency here, but no, that's fine. But the but yeah, the Jack Turbans and it's oh, they have to. They're cis white gays. They're hanging on by thread to their community. They have to yes work twice as hard for half the credit, and so they have to be yes. even more trans affirming than anybody else. Oh so yeah, a... wouldn't it be nice if we could? just overcome all of the bigots and biases and all of these systems of oppression, make it so that these people could be their true selves. Aren't we great if we are the people who make Mm -hmm. it possible for these young people to emerge from their cocoons and into the surgically modified and chemically altered butterflies that they deserve to be. We're going to use our cis privilege on behalf of 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 these people. And right. so it's a, there's so many dynamics to it. At the same time, I can't, I, it's like, it's this world of activists and professional grievance rent seekers and the status games involved with that. I, I don't think your, your, your typical gay man at the bar, right, is, is down with any of it. But there is this kind of astroturfed pseudo reality that it's connected to many forms of uh, many rents that you can extract from. There's a good term for luxury belief, right? Luxury belief. So Mm -hmm. right now the whole construct, the whole concept of a trans kid is a luxury belief. Right. Yes. Oh, look at how moral, look at how good I am that I support Mm -hmm. these kids. Right. I support these kids. You're trying to, you're trying to fight these. You're trying to take their healthcare away. I support these kids. Yes. You're attacking them. I'm attacking uh, them. You are colluding with reactionary forces in our society yeah. in order to attack a marginalized group. Some somebody yeah. in Ohio in, in yesterday a, in a desperate attempt as a disillusioned trans person to uh, self loathing, self hating. This right. guy chased me down. This beautiful woman, who's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. woman, much in the same way I am, chased me down. Yeah. Or chased after me. Didn't chase me down. Chased after me with the bullhorn going, you're murdering children. You're yeah. murdering children. Murderer. Yeah. Uh-huh. After your testimony or? Yeah. After my testimony. Yeah. And I got so upset about it that I had to go mm. suffocate three babies. <laughs> Just uh-huh. to feel a little bit better. No, I'm right. kidding. No, the, it's really, it's ludicrous, right? Mm. How insane is it to right. say, hey, if you want to take hormones, Wait until you're 18. Yeah. How insane is it right. that somebody who doesn't know anything about me, who was there to hear my testimony but didn't listen to it, yeah. then chases after me and calls me a murderer? Yeah. But the Biden administration has their back. They have the accept That's right. that framing. That Now, here's the thing. You have and, and I, parents. And I'm an extremist to the Biden administration. I'm an extremist. I've spoken to many ROGD parents and some of them yeah. have had had the good fortune to be like, they stuck with it until their kids are like, thank God you didn't affirm me at that moment of vulnerability because right. God knows where I would be. And it's, is there going to be a generation of kids that like gets to the point 15 years down the line where they collectively say that to the Texas and the Arkansas oh, yeah. legislatures? 
Oh, yeah. It's going to be because our parents and the doctors, they were not willing to do what you, the GOP legislators of the state did, which is say, no, you're not ready. for Yes. Yeah. There's those people are as inevitable as the ones who bring the lawsuits. Yeah. It's inevitable. And there's going to be people also who said I was transitioning as a child and my life would have been better off if you had just let me do that. You ruined my life. There will be people who say that too. There's going to be population transfers of some scale. They'll just go to blue states and do it. Yeah. Not not at a very large scale, but there'll be a few. Yeah. So there are people people that will not finish their transaction, their transition as a result of, as a result of your action. Yes. And you count every one of them as a victory. I'm not counting those as victories. That's not my mentality. Okay. But what I count them as is that instead of them being inevitably harmed by this form of mal- malfeasance, yeah. they won't be harmed. They, they can choose for themselves later yeah. whether they want to have these sort of procedures, yeah. but they will have had time, extra time, legitimately will have had extra time to, to try to come up with alternatives. Some of them won't. And some of them will be have the, an obsession that they got to start it and, and not finish it and that they'll hold a lot of anger inside of them. But the uh, ones this, who do find a better way or another way, yeah, another in way. your view, will all be better off for having yeah. it. Yes. Without exception, because there is a physical, emotional, psychological toll that is absolutely unavoidable. And there will be those who are going to say it was worth it taking everything into account at the end. But that toll is a impossible to really conceive of in advance of it happening, especially given the BS that's being fed to them by activists and doctors and b an enormous, just an absolute terms toll. Yes. And the only reason that somebody would should ever contemplate taking on that toll is if they have exhausted all other options and they know that there is no other way for them to continue to live. And that wasn't true for you at 19. That was not true for me at 19. You bought into a story and, but if somebody had gatekept you more strongly, yeah, you would have found another way to avoid these costs that you have tallied up. physical and otherwise and would have been better off for it. I don't know. I could have been better off. You never know all possible futures. I just mean avoiding those apps, avoiding those tolls. I would have had a set of possibilities that are much closer to being in line with the other sets of possibilities that other gay men my age at that time would have been able to choose from. Yeah. So I have a whole different set of possibilities and they are not in this universe, the same set of possibilities that young women my age would have had. And they, are, so, they are the possibilities of a transsexual, not the possibilities of a woman. And the, and the key thing is to say that all these laws are saying is wait, wait a few years. Yes. Wait a few years. And, but is being framed as an attack, as a genocide. As genocide. So, yeah just this incredible verbal diarrhea that has been normalized and various institutions have taken on 
we're supposed to just get used to it as part of the garbage of our time, but I, I, like it affects me. I find it horrifying <laughs> and that people talk in these terms. Yes. Uh, and, but I, it is like the parent who is trying to deny something to their kid who is demanding something that is harmful to them. And that's what, mm-hmm. it's like a real stress test for society. Can we do that? In a culture that is so whatever, instant gratification and consumer medicine and every individual yeah. self-expression, can we muster the authority to say, no, this isn't good for you, and we're allowed to say that, and that's actually our duty. It is our duty. That is our duty. That is our duty. Like, we have, we, we owe others. Like we have social responsibilities. We owe others. And for these young people, we owe them protection and we owe them the truth. They deserve it. We have these like scared straight programs of yeah. prisoners who are like, don't right. end up like me in prison. I, in, in a way, you're, this is what it actually means. And I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you things that are part of the knowledge base of every person that did this that are systematically being denied to you because people want to cope with their cope with their, these pains that I'm describing by inducting more people into it. That's right. So now are you, were you always innocent of that impulse to induct people more into it by, by prevaricating or were you always of a mind of let's let people know, let's let them in. And why aren't, why don't other people do that? Or maybe some people do. After I had transitioned and was still in these communities for a while, I was welcoming of new people coming in and part of that culture. Yeah. So to say that I am innocent or was always innocent is not fair to say. Yeah. When you're part of the, when you're part of the gang, you do the gang activities. Right. Yeah. So you were part of it and you remember what it, you remembered that like you were, Aligning the truth, or maybe even lying about it. Were you doing that, or were you no? Not? Yeah. You're, when you're in a delusional state, you're not. You're yeah. not con- consciously. You're not consciously lying. You're lying to yourself, and you're looking for a group right. of other people who have the right. same set of distortions. And that's the basis of your community is right. being there, coping together by supporting one one another in delusions. That's right. And but that can go on forever. And if you make the world and if you start like in kindergarten with the glitter and the rainbow, and then you compel the world through harassment laws and civil rights laws to play along, that's the vision. The vision is a totalitarian vision where we're going to use state power and use private power to force everyone force the, the responsibility for everyone else to help this tiny group of people cope by changing our whole conception of human life of sexual biology of, yes. of the language that we can use affect like a total transformation and that most of the governments of the western worlds others uh, european nations even more than us have they've gone whole hog on this is a project that we're going to we're going to fit we're going to force this round peg into this we're going to force this block into this round hole, no matter how much force it takes. All yeah. doing do, it on do, behalf of the most marginalized among us. Right? You see why? Not, uh-huh. 
you, I just, I agree with everything you said, but do you see yeah. why for me? Yeah. Because I agree with that. Do you see why for right. me? It's not yeah. a choice. Yeah. yeah. When right. I participate in this, when I fight against it, do you see why I say it's not a choice for me? Well, I cannot imagine a world where I do not try to prevent what you're talking yes. about from mm -hmm. happening to all of us. It's not only about protecting the kids. Sure, that's a very important part of it. Yeah. But this sort of totalitarian, just absolute disparagement of our rights and our liberties that yeah. must happen. These infringements must happen for the genderists to, they're never going to succeed. It's never going to happen. We can see this with all the boycotts that are starting to appear. But for them to get to the future that they want to get to, this yeah. is on their critical path. These infringements mm -hmm. must happen for them to yeah. get to their to get them to their success state and yeah. we cannot allow that to happen yeah and they use these little children as it's like the gun and the mouse you know that that meme do what we're saying or this person will die yes and it's been very successful it's been very successful among first leftists when it was just intersectarian left wing bickering and then liberals, when it's the nice white ladies of Brooklyn Heights and Park Slope. But then it, but now it's hitting, now they're trying to ex extend beyond those boundaries. And it's hitting Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles. And Matt Walsh, he made a speech where he was like, you started this. And it's, he doesn't say one false thing in that speech. It's, yeah, we're going to let you do what you want, whatever, dress how you want. But you came after our kids, and it, yep. it's true. They, they've, they're trying to raise up. They're trying to take kids from more conservative types who are not the kind to immediately gravitate toward whatever made-up copypasta you're trying to promulgate and turn them against their parents at yep. scale in the millions. Yep. And that has to generate confrontation. And it's designed to. Yeah. It's designed to. It's designed to consign them to the ranks of the benighted, recast them as hateful bigots, domestic terrorists. The state is behind you. The state has our back. Three days after a shooting spree, we're going to say the kids fight back and we're behind them. Now, she's talking about protesters. She wasn't talking about the shooter, but that's a moment where she could be presenting yeah, timing. a different timing. That's a, a moment where she could be presenting a very different message. She could be saying, there's yeah. a, there, there have been some promises that have, of course, they'll never say that, but look, we made promises to people that we're going to give them access to certain things. We're going to secure certain forms of recognition for them. We're going to enable certain forms of experimentation on children. And we've promised them that future. And now there are constraints that are being put in and we have defined their very existence We've conditioned their very existence, right, on the delivery of those promises that we're actually not going to be able to deliver because we still have a constitutional government that grants states a certain amount of power and yes. we're still the democracy. And yes. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. You're listing all the problems we have to overcome in right. order to get exactly. to the end point. Yeah. Red state. People in red states are still, they still have the vote. They have the same civil rights as other people. They have a constitutional right to free conscience. They don't have to agree with everything that we tell them is true, especially when what we're telling them is not true about gender identity and so on. And so we're going to signal everything. We're not going to send in the 82nd Airborne 
the way we did in Montgomery, Alabama, even though we've allowed that kind of rhetoric to to spread widely. We're not going to actually send the Marines in to allow you into the gender clinic. You um, might send Admiral Levine. You could send the Navy. <laughs> you'll send Admiral Levine. Right? Yeah. But, but we'll, we'll the take the is, U.S. Mercy. Is that the name of the, the hospital is, boat? Yeah, we'll put a, Admiral... a, a gender, transgender surgery, <laughs> surgical theater on the boat. And we'll send the boat around to the different cities, the port cities, so that we can give kids sex changes. Are other admirals who are not ceremonial admirals in full dress whenever they... I don't think they are, right? No, most of the other admirals leave the pantyhose in the bedroom. (laughs) But they're not in their full regalia. She's all... He, she, whatever. She's always in her regalia, right? Richard? Yes. She was always dressed up like a beautiful (laughs) naval princess. So, Richard... Like, Like a Disney... So we're not going to be able to deliver these impossible promises. And reality is such that even if we put a gun to the head of every yokel in America and said, you will use the pronouns, even if you were to do that, and we created universal assent and acquiescence to our vision, it would still not be true. That's right. (laughs) And every person who is the beneficiary of that would know that is not true. Eventually they would. It'll take some longer than others to realize it, but they'll get there. So to make impossible promises is politically very problematic because in the end it requires massive coercion on a Soviet or yeah. or, or Chinese scale. We still have, we still are a pluralistic liberal democratic society, although we have all these movements that are pledged to the subsumption of those things and that serve as a very useful pretext for the authoritarian-minded powers of the earth. The nice people, the The kind people. The authoritarian-minded powers of the earth are able to say, look, you say this thing, this vulnerable, marginalized person is put at risk at death. So we now have this pretext to say that, of course, we're not going to allow you to dead name. We're not going to, and we're going to get you inured to these habits of of self-censorship and of censorship in order to save these lives. And and so initially you had these genuinely problematic figures, neo-Nazis and so on. And that was, there was a basis to do that. But now more and more, there was somebody that just tweeted, I'm going to try to talk to that person, uh, was removed from match.com because she had said that she read my Substack, not just my Substack, but like Barry Weiss's Substack and said that she supported RFK Jr. and was removed from match.com for like hateful conduct or whatever. So, we just keep moving further and further along, and but it's entirely in keeping with what the movement establishes as their success condition. You should not be able to do what we just did over the last two hours, which is refer to Admiral Levine, <laughs> right, repeatedly as Richard. And it is their unironic and unambiguous and unequivocal goal to make it so that this is impossible. That's right. And if they succeed, they'll get there. But ultimately, they won't succeed. Yeah. But they're gonna. Yeah. They've done. They've just done, and they've just done an unbelievable job of showing how much you can do just by fucking screeching at people on social media and in their faces. Yeah. They, they can't they succeed. Yeah. They can't succeed, and the lengths that they will go to before they give up yeah. is what's really frightening. Because we've seen this in history and other at other times and other locations, 
Yeah. The lengths that people, it's, they, they will go to violence. So Audrey Hale Un- unapologetically. Times, Audrey Hale times a hundred, or Audrey Hale times a thousand, or no, it's I wouldn't even worry about the Audrey Hales. I'd worry uh, about the Biden administrations yeah. that decide to designate people like you and I as domestic terrorists mm. because we are producing hateful yeah. content, which inspires. This is really crazy. When I was in Ohio yesterday, yeah, this blowhard state representative pushed back against one of the proponents saying, oh, the mortality rates that you present for transgender people don't include, or it's not that they don't include, oh, those mortality rates are so high because that, because of all the violence against trans people. Yeah. And that's proved, and that's proven by the human rights campaign and the FBI is what he said. Yeah. Which nothing that he said is accurate. Yeah. Nothing, not a single word of it, but he's a state representative yeah so what happens in these states where people that are that ignorant yeah gain power yeah so the bill in texas passed yeah yeah it was signed today ohio's gonna pass they have the votes we'll see they have the votes but there's a lot of not everybody from every party yeah thinks the same way yeah Indiana's law. There's a lawsuit okay. currently. Yeah, and the, there's a stay in all of these bans. Like the court, the federal courts are they're like preventing their enforcement. And yeah, they're working on it. Yeah, but you believe that they will pass constitutional muster? Or oh yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. So oh, yeah. there's not a doubt in the world. The I've read mm. the at least uh, the whole Indiana lawsuit, and it's just so specious. They must have they must have first years working uh, on these as like a clinic project. The lawsuit is so amateurish. So the trans you saw the trans propagandists of twenty two thousand six or whatever, and totally marginal figures typing away on some corner of the internet, and you yeah. saw them. You saw their thinking, their ideas, their memes, their political project, their medical project, move from the margins to become a key part of the Democratic Party's messaging Uh, agenda platform. It's an amazing thing to witness because, and I don't know if in the past, sure, there's always a push and pull between vanguardist movements and then the political mainstream, but there's something about the combination of the internet and uh, there seems something different, right, about, about trans's rise because it has zero basis in any it, it doesn't have any zero it has zero basis in any real demographic foundation it's a population that in demographic terms doesn't even really exist and yet for rent seekers it turns out that a population that you invent and that that, that exists entirely by virtue of the application of your power because you secure the terms of recognition for this group is very convenient in a way Oh, yeah. Because they don't have an anticip- they don't have an antecedent existence and an antecedent sense of needs. Their needs yeah. are the are what you define. Yeah, and so you you create a kind of political class of Yanisaries who are just body and soul in possession of the party, and vice versa. And so the the most the social justice activists, the social justice warriors that are 
most fully just body and soul in possession in this symbiosis with the party, are we going to be able to unwind it? You're like, they can't win, but they are permanently entrenched at the same time. They're not permanently entrenched. Can they be unwound? Can this whole thing be unwound in a relatively safe way? Or is it, are we going to see a blood? Yes. Pass? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it'll be unwound in a safe way. Uh-huh. Um, the influence that like any influence that, that you have inside of a party yeah. is based on your relationships. Yeah. So all of that influence needs to be maintained in order for it to be exercised. Yeah. And as more and more people go, I think that trans people should be protected, but yeah, they're not, wi- they're not women. They're not the same as women and women's rights are important too. Yeah. And what's going to happen. This is going to appear very subtle, but it's quite profound is that yeah. all of these people who have for the last five years been coached to say trans women are women yeah. are going to start saying trans women should be included and women's rights should be protected. Mm-hmm. And these two things are both important to me and I'm going to keep fighting for both of these. Yeah. Okay. And what they're really saying is, oh yeah, I guess actually women's rights ultimately are more important than trans rights. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to save face by saying these things are important, but okay. I'm going to, I'm going to continue bracketing my political points or my political positions by saying, oh yeah, women's women have unique rights that need protection. So you think there will be a pivot? I, oh, see yeah. no, it's... I see no evidence of it happening, but maybe you see the evidence. No, I, I, I just... It has to. Uh, it's embedded in the structure of things. It has to happen. It's embedded. Like, it's... This is... The dominoes have already been laid out. They're going to yeah. fall in the same order. Because it, we cannot have a society yeah. that... Like, uh, there's another alternative. We could just lose our society. We could lose, we could lose everything. But if yeah. we do not... Society can just become decadent and fall apart. And that's right. That, that could happen. So yeah, that's always an option. If we want to continue, yeah. then our future is absolutely dependent on children. Yeah, absolutely. And the only place that children comes from are women who get impregnated. Yeah. One man, one man can produce a lot of sperm. Yeah. Sorry, men, you're a little bit less important. Right. We absolutely have to have women. No yeah. society is going to continue unless we have unless we know what a woman is. Yeah. And we can only pretend for so long. Yeah. Before we go, that was a fun diversion, pretending that men and women are indistinguishable, right. but let's get back to, uh, let's get back on track. The, but of course, it's the young women who have been most successfully propagandized in parts mm-hmm. of their greater agreeability as women. So they've been the yeah. most easily hacked. And then there's this rivalry between younger and older women, right, around, around this issue. But uh, reality will set in for them as well. That's that, mm-hmm. that is what your prediction is. Yeah. Or everything falls apart. And in that case, I'm. <laughs> I just turned forty-eight. If everything falls apart, that's fine. I don't. Thanks to nineteen-year-old me, I don't have any progeny that I have to worry about. So whatever. <laughs> so the is your kind of divorce from the trans world. Was it predicated by your political split or did that happen before? Did you already, did you start seeing it as infantile and sad long before you switched, changed your political views and your... In the mid 2000s, there was a huge amount of change inside of the trans community. It it would not have been observable or noticeable outside, Yeah, but there was a lot of leftist causes were starting to link together. 
Yeah. And whoever put the energy into this is really quite smart. Yeah. Because there's absolutely no, there's no, no reason to connect trade unions with transgenderism. Yes. Or women's abortion rights with transgenderism okay. or immigration reform with transgenderism. Yes. And make uh, them all but, subordinate to transgenderism as has been yeah. happened. Yeah. That, that, that happened, that ended up happening. Yeah. But to even link these things in the first place. So in the mid two thousands, these activists were saying, oh, you have to support, you have to be pro-choice. You have to go out and protect the clinics. Yeah. You have to be pro-immigration. You need to care about immigrants coming here. Yeah. Like, that has to matter to you. Yeah. You have to be pro-trade union. Yeah. You have to be anti-war because this was during Iraq. Yeah. The Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. You, yeah. you have to be pro-Islam. Yeah. I do. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All of these things, which are, which many of which, by the way, are inherently antagonistic. Yes. The trannies and the Muslims don't have a lot of common ground. There's that story in Semaphore, I don't know if you saw it, about no. protecting, protecting LGP, LGBT against Muslims, protecting yeah. Muslims against LGBT. But of course, well, it, it's the T is different. So that's why the calculus has changed. One of the most antagonistic members of the committee yesterday in Ohio is yeah. a young Somali woman, a Muslim. So I guess she took her marching orders when she was told, go protect the tea. No, but I, I can't imagine that her Somali family members understand very much why she cares about it. That is this kind of intersectional unity of oppression narrative. And yeah. that the theory is an expression of the forms of organizing that were happening, this kind of consolidation of all left-wing sentiment into a single Borg where everything was about everything else. So your gay pride parade had to be about Palestinian rights and so on. So that That's thing right. happened. That's right. And so you, you witnessed all that happening. and I did. You, trannies you, used to be so diverse. There right. used to be trannies from all over the map. Right. Yeah, yeah. Some of the trannies I knew from a long time ago, yeah. you would not want to get on the bad side of because right. not because they're the crazy violent people that they are uh, marching in the streets and pre LARPing, but because they actually had dangerous backgrounds. Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> Ex-mill, yeah, uh, right. huge, probably killed people in combat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. had a complicated thoughts on the meaning of a lot people that See, really well, had hard backgrounds. Tr transgender folks, they seem to be overrepresented. Is it true that they're, Military overrepresented? Yeah, I don't Heavily know about... Overrepresented? I know I've I seen claims like that in circulation. And... The current cohort, I don't think that that's true anymore because these. Right. I don't know that these kids are even working in fast food joints. I think they're just sitting and playing World of Warcraft. But yeah, prior to this 20... Prior to the 2010, yeah, that was definitely true. And then there's this this phenomenon that, uh, that Bailey writes about. A lot, of his, a lot of Hispanics, a lot of Puerto Ricans, a lot of like yeah. people from... Extremely macho cultures. Yeah, down low brothers who, whatever, who can't be gay and become women. That's, and those are the people, right, who are the black trans murder crisis victims so, who, who maybe are, don't provide full disclosure or whatever. Yeah, just to say that clearly. Yeah. Pe people from marginalized communities where yeah. macho, macho is a masculine, this, what we might grudgingly agree would constitute toxic masculinity where this sort yeah. of stuff is common. Uh, yeah. yeah.
very rigidly policed gender boundaries and yes and thus you cannot be gender non-conforming you have to be the opposite sex and right. and so that's and gender medicine was a it was like this kind of gray market i heard will malone talking about this this kind of gray market partially sanctioned thing that some adventurous niche clinicians would do they had a little subculture i guess that's where you found your where people would share information Yep. And the argument that, uh, that Bailey made is the reason why we know that people are satisfied with transition is that the demand continues. And he's like, the demand continues because if people were having bad experiences, they would be telling other people about those bad experiences. But you've provided an alternative explanation for that in that people want to cope, they want to expand their community. And, and so they're not necessarily really giving each other the real skinny. The real yeah, skinny yeah. is that it's a pretty brutal macabre thing to have gone through. And that the only way you're going to come out saying that you're ahead is if you had exhausted all other possibilities. Look, there's all kinds of people in the world. There's 7 billion people on the planet. In a free and pluralistic society, we're not going to deny a consenting adult the right to take on these risks in the same way that we're going to allow them to join Scientology and maybe whatever, have every penny taken from them by their whoever, but but also maybe feel like their lives have been saved. Certainly there's no scientific basis, right, to any of it. Right. The scientific basis we have is really shoddy, shot full of holes, suggests that there's there was a lot of suffering before and there's a lot of suffering afterwards in in the cohort of people that are drawn into this. Yeah. This idea that we can launder it all by making it pure as the driven snow by taking children and putting them fully into their sex is a is an ex is extremely disturbing fantasy of men like Richard Levine that somehow we managed to get our cultural, medical, political apparatus to to engage in that laundering yeah. and to get whatever twenty fifteen percent of the parents of Park Slope and of and of Berkeley, California, to buy into. But and, that, and, and that we were able to get our policymakers yeah. to require the market to provide supply for. Yeah. Yeah. But also we stimulated demand. We, the entrepreneur market in place, all these yeah. influencers. And I then, am jazz. Yeah. And then we inadvertently created the, the girl, the girl ROGD phenomenon the M2F phenomenon, which had been basically unheard of prior to 2015 or so. And those girls, they're going to keep on with their glitter family and whatever for as long as they can. But like none of them were ever gender dysphoric and none of them are fucking boys. And so well, they were gender dysphoric. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. In the same way that, that these kids who watch the, what is it called, with the muscle twitching and the profanity exclaiming. Oh, the Tourette's, yeah. The Tourette's. Yeah. So exactly in the same way that that these kids get are getting uh, Tourette's, yeah. they're, have, they're also having gender dysphoria in the yeah. exact same way. If you try to tell these kids that are getting the Tourette's, yeah. That you don't have you don't have Tourette's. They'll say I have all of the behaviors. It's causing me distress. They'll say fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> right? They will, they're, but they're, they're not consciously doing it. Yeah. All of this stuff gets deeply programmed. Yeah. To mimic these things. Yeah. And experientially, it's the same. Yeah. Okay. And there's no part of the brain that I can point to that says here's where the dysphoria is. Yeah. It's all experiential. 
So any of these girls who feel like, oh, I'm uncomfortable in my body, that's real dysphoria. Yeah. It's just, it's not a sign that they're the wrong sex. That's all that is. At the same moment, we spread that impressionability. We also propagandized the medical profession to mm-hmm. never to question someone because well, kids they're, know who they're they are. Well, they're those. Right? They're the pros. And in a way, kids know who they are more than anybody else because oh, it's a pure expression yeah, born that of way. their essence. Yeah. They're closer to their essential being. And yeah. it's, it would be a violence not to provide them what they need to become their true selves. Oh, yeah. And then... You're and, murdering kids. Yeah. You're causing genocide if you question this methodology. Yeah, and then this so this forty eight year old tranny is no, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna work with the red legislature to put a stop to this. I will. I'll work with I'll work with the blue ones too when they're ready to step up. And you believe that the blue ones are gonna step up eventually. That like the madness will accrue to the point where it will become will it be undeniable? Yeah, it'll be undeniable. Who knows if the legislature, it might be more like the phenomenon of the lobotomies where people just go, Oh, you know, well, what if we don't do this anymore? How's that? That's probably more likely to happen in the blue states. But okay. But you, I, but you are telling the future to all these parents and it's, oh, yeah. they don't want to hear it, but yeah, the future is, what's the future? Give them, give all these well-meaning parents yeah. a glimpse. If For every parent who is transitioning their child, yeah. here's the future. Your kid is going to get into their 20s and 30s, somewhere in this range. Uh, even the ones who are failing to launch are going to figure out how to actually get their shit together at some point. Every one of these kids is going to start to ruminate. How did this happen to me? None of them are going to say, why did I do this to myself? Because they're, they didn't have agency. They didn't know. It doesn't matter if they said, oh, I really want to be a girl mommy. They don't know. Yeah. They've got no idea. They're not even going to remember that. They're not going to know that. So they're going to start thinking, well, how did this happen to me? How is it po- and they're going to and they're going to get to know kids by the way. They're going to get to know children who are born babies. They're going to be involved with the lives of these children. They're going to watch them grow up and become thinking human beings. They're going to even watch them become adults. And they're going and they're going to know what innocence looks like. And they're going to start to remember that their innocence was absolutely destroyed. And they're going to want to know why. And they will know at the time. I'm te- I'm telling you now that the reason that this happen happens is largely because of the sexual interests of men like Rachel Levine, Admiral Rachel Levine, and other men who have continual fantasies that they wanted to be little girls. So you have sent these children to satisfy the fantasies of these men. These children, when they become adults, are going to realize that this is why their innocence was destroyed, is to meet these fantasies. And the first people who will get the blame for this will be their parents. That is the future. That is the future. I, I don't remember his name, but he's, I'm 28. Look at me. I'm puberty black. Do you know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Seth. That was Seth. Yeah, it's powerful. And you're saying like, that's going to happen to all these fucking parents that went in on that's, this. Yes. It will not matter to these adult children. That they that, begged and demanded and connived in order to get this. It, 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 I'm not even talking about that part. It won't matter to these kids yeah. that the parents' calculus was they want zero of one child to commit suicide. They don't care about mm-hmm. one in 20,000. They want zero yeah. of one to commit suicide. They won't care about their parents' concerns. It's, yeah. they're not gonna, a lot of them aren't going to be able to have their own kids, and so they're never going to even learn how to think like a parent. They're always going yeah. to think like a child. 
they're not going to appreciate what their parents were up against being being lied to yeah. by yeah. the government, being lied to by their president, being lied to by their doctors. They're going to think, my parents ruined me. For what? For yeah. what? Yeah. Why did my parents why did my parents do this to me? So parents, that's what you have to look forward to. <laughs> and to be uh, fair though, to be fair, yeah. a lot of kids grow up asking why their parents ruined them too. That's why well, that's there's why a lot of ways so, so popular. There's a lot of ways for kids to get screwed up and there's that's always right. there's always a structure of danger that yeah. kids face. It's just it's this this one has an unusual amount of parental complicity. Uh, oh, yeah. But also in an unusual amount of society's bamboozling parents. And I just spoke yep. to a woman who just wept because uh, she let her daughter go on puberty blockers for two years and had bone density issues. And not, not. And she was like, look, they worked in the sense that she was completely obsessed with her gender and then she wasn't. And she went to a better school and she was on puberty blockers. So it worked in the way yep. that it was supposed to in, in that case. But she's great. She, but then she learned and yeah. And, and now she's, she's like, what did I do? And, yeah. and, and her daughter's one of the better stories, right? Got out of it, desisted. Sasha worked with the mother and says, you just have to tell her you're going off the blocker. And she went to her and said, you're going off the blocker. And she agreed and she's off and she's that's desisted. good. And, that's good. But somebody had to come along and just force her to take on her duty as a parent. And so that's really what the underlying crisis is, even though we have all these forces militating on behalf of destruction of that authority. In the end, there, it, it is about the agency and the willingness of adults to take responsibility. And, and, uh, and they need, a, and they need a, a training to give them a lecture. And, uh, and then if they can't do it, to force it on them. <laughs> that's, what, that's what's happened. We, we talked about that trolley problem earlier. Yeah. I think there's a lot of parents who, what they will say is, oh, I would have pulled the switch. I just, yeah. I couldn't decide in time. I couldn't make up my mind in time. And by, by the time the train had passed the, yeah. the switch, it was too late. So when parents realize that out of a cohort of 15,000 over a decade in Britain, four committed suicide... That would probably change their calculus because they're yeah. getting an impression that it's two thirds who kill themselves. Or that's right. That's the kind of bullshit that they're getting, or forty-one percent, or whatever. That's right. Based upon these completely F fake fifty percent fake fucking I, statistics I heard, that I, are, I heard a, a clinician in give test state testimony that said fifty percent. But so Leo gets up and is look. The figure is four out of fifteen thousand. Yeah, and. That in itself just should destroy the whole narrative. It mm -hmm. should be in wider circulation. I tweet it like almost every day for that reason. But but I'm up against a gigantic vertically integrated messaging apparatus that it shows up in Reuters. It shows up in AP stories. It's just the fucking fact that half of these kids are going to die. And it's odious, oh. dangerous misinformation that ought to be removed from the public square because of the damage that it does. More so than almost anything that these fucking disinformation people are focused on uh, shutting down. Prior to the 2015 U.S. trans survey, which is where that 41% figure comes from, yeah. the number that was always thrown around before that was that the average lifespan of a transgender woman is 30 years old. Did you hear that one before? I've never heard that. No. That was the prior meme. That was the oldest meme. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
the okay. average lifespan of a transgender woman is 30 years old. Yeah, because so many died by murder or suicide. Or... That's right. Or AIDS. <sighs> okay. This turned into a good conversation. Yeah, it was long. It was a little tense at first, but the more we got into it, it became... So it's going to take some editing, and hopefully it works. Yeah, I apologize, or I don't apologize. I feel bad for you because the editing job on this is going to be a monster. You are about to embark upon the great crusade. The old myth. The eyes of the world are upon you. Not classroom theory. I saw it happen. And then begin to inculcate our babies. Do you have a martyr complex? Let me tell you, we all make... Do you have a militant attitude relative to the area of civil rights? Your task will not be an easy one. The road ahead will be long. We're going to make sure that society wins.